Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. David, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Excited to get into it. More NBA playoffs this week. It's getting real exciting here as we've made our way into the second round of the playoffs and some teams even moving on to the conference finals. But first, like always, we're going to start with our Athlete of the Week. And all this month, we looked at athletes that wore the number six. We looked at a new one each Monday. And this week, we're looking at a new one. And our third number six is LeBron James. James just finished his 18th season in the NBA, and during those 18 seasons, he has put on a show. He's a 17-time All-Star, 16-time All-NBA, and a four-time MVP. James has won four NBA championships while also being the Finals MVP in all four of those. The list of accolades goes on and on for LeBron James. He's played for the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Miami Heat, where he wore number six, and his current team, the LA Lakers, where he also is going to be wearing number six next season. So this was our third best athlete to wear the number six. And looking at LeBron James and the other athletes that we've looked at so far this month, do you feel like LeBron James is the best number six we've taken a look at so far? So far, yes. It's hard to compare players across sports, but he has the biggest like hype around him, the biggest legacy that I can think of uh, immediately. You think of players who've worn the number six. You think of LeBron James, arguably the best player to ever play basketball. Uh, yeah, he's. I'd say he's probably the best athlete to wear number six. Yeah, I definitely I agree with that as well. And we looked at some really good basketball players that have worn the number six. Bill Russell, Julius Irving, all guys that we've taken a look at or are going to take a look at moving forward. But when you look at LeBron James and what he's done, I'm going to look at it from the point of view of just a pure athlete. He is probably one of the best pure athletes of my generation, if not the best, without a doubt. Top five for sure. Someone that big should not be able to move that fast. He is just all muscle. And when you look at LeBron James what he's done in the NBA, a lot of people say, oh, LeBron James flops. How can you say that he's this big, strong athlete? That is not really on LeBron James. That's more on the way the game of basketball is being called. LeBron James and other athletes and NBA players are going to adapt to how the game is being called. So if they're going to call fouls on, you could call it weaker calls, why not try to get those? Why not try try to draw those? Because that's going to help your team in the long run. And personally for me, when I look at it, I look at it as LeBron just staying one step ahead of the game. And that's why he's been so good for so long. And just also what he's done, being able to adapt his game everywhere he's gone. In Cleveland, it was just, the first time, it was just all me. And I'm going to take over. I have to, to be successful. He gets to Miami, and he becomes a more polished, dominant player. You see him still kind of have that alpha dog mentality, but he becomes more polished. Then I look at Cleveland that second time. That second stint for me is my favorite LeBron James that we've seen just in terms of his facilitating was top tier. His scoring was top tier. He was adjusting and improving his three-point shot. Everything about LeBron James, in my opinion, was at its best. And I think it showed in that series when they were down 3-1 in the NBA Finals. And now with the Lakers, now that he's older, he has changed his game. He let Anthony Davis take over. He's the alpha dog. Now LeBron James is the facilitator. He's the guy that sets everyone else up. 
as he adapts, he's staying at the top. And for me, that's why I have him as my best number six, because he's been at the top for so long, and he's just finding new ways to stay up at the top. And also, yesterday, we took a look at a birthday. It was MLB star Tim Lincecum's 37th birthday yesterday. And Lincecum started his 10-year MLB career out with a bang, winning back-to-back Cy Young Awards in his second and third seasons in the majors. He was an all-star in four of his first five seasons as well. As his career progressed, his play began to decline as well from such a great start. But Lincecum still went on to win three World Series titles and finished top 10 in the Cy Young voting twice, coming in 6th and 10th, I believe. He spent all but one season playing for the San Francisco Giants, and in that last season, I believe he was with the Angels. Now looking at Tim Lincecum and the career that he's had, do you think he's easily forgotten in terms of dominant pitchers the last two decades, you could say? I'd say definitely. He's one of... During the time he played, 2008-2009, those two Cy Young seasons, he was one of the most dominant pitchers statistically the league has seen overall. Why he gets forgotten about is because he didn't have that longevity. It was really, I said, four seasons of just peak top play, and then he kind of fell off very quickly. I... For me, he's one of my favorite players that doesn't really get talked about enough. He's just, he was a fun guy to watch, and he was always a very tough competitor. Yeah, he's a guy that, he was so dominant, but it was just so short. So that's why it is so easy to forget about him. And when you look at truly, when he was at his peak, it was very impressive what he was doing out there on the mound. But the thing about it is, when you look at his career, I don't know if it was just a loss of confidence, what it was, but he just declined, and it was a quick decline. He wasn't a huge part of those World Series teams, which I think also makes him a little overshadowed. The second two, he really wasn't. The 2012 and the 2014 one, he really wasn't uh, much in those. But when you look at some Giants pitchers from those World Series teams, he's not the only one that I feel like kind of gets glanced over. You look at a guy like Matt Cain, who also was a pretty good pitcher for the Giants in that run they went on. Also, you look at the closers. Sergio Romo, he did a good job in his uh, debuts as well. Then also Brian Wilson, the closer for the Giants as well. Both those guys with the Giants did really well when it comes in terms of winning some World Series and being successful, but also didn't have the longevity throughout their career. For me, Lincecum's a guy that I just wish we could have saw his dominance longer and he would have went down as one of the better pitchers. But because it was so short, and then it was just kind of, it was a dramatic fall off from the top there, that's why we see him easily forgotten within sports. And today in sports, Andre Dawson hit his 400th NL home run as a part of the Florida Marlins. David, this sets up a question I have for you. Now looking at the NL and AL in terms of players hitting 400 home runs. Do you know who in the AL and the NL, two separate, who was the first player in each league to hit 400 home runs? It goes back a little bit in time, but I want to see if you know. Um, I'm going to say the first to hit 400 in the AL was Babe Ruth. Yes, that is correct, Babe Ruth. Um, And then the NL... This 
this one I'm not entirely sure, so I'm going to go with kind of an out there one. Was it Honus Wagner? It was not Honus Wagner, but that is a good guess. That is a good guess. It was Mel Ott. Ah, it was Mel Ott. Yes, a long time ago. Was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1951. And when you look at just truly how impressive it is to be hit 400 home runs, especially in just one specific league, and Andre Dawson also, he went on to hit his 400th, actual 400th home run in the AL, but came back over with the Marlins and hit his 400th NL home run. And his home run also was the game-winning home run. It wasn't a walk-off home run. It was earlier in the game, but it was the winning run, you could say. So that concludes our social media posts. Be sure to look out for those next week as we continue to push those out each week. Now, we're going to get into the NBA playoffs that we talked about earlier. First series we're going to talk about, Clippers versus Jazz. Last time we talked, the Clippers, they were trailing 2-0. It wasn't looking good for them. Now we're back. It's 2-2. Series tied, playing tonight for Game 5. The Clippers storm back to tie this series. There's no other way to put it. It was great play by them. Can they finish the comeback off? They did it against the Mavs. Do you see that happening to this Jazz team? I don't think so. Uh, they're a decent team, but they just I don't think they have the depth that the Jazz do. I think the Jazz overall are, are a more polished, well-rounded team that's just had a couple bad games. And on the other side, the Clippers... Uh, individual players have kind of gone above what they would normally play, above the level they would normally play at. So I think the Jazz are going to still take this one. They're still going to be able to finish this one out and move on to the Western Conference Finals. This one, it's tough for me because when I look at it, this Clippers team, if all healthy and out there, I think they do. I do think they finished the comeback off. I think they can do it. And we've seen them do this time and time again. Last year in the playoffs, going down, coming back, beating the Mavs as well. This season, beating the Mavs after going down 2-0. If healthy Kawhi Leonard, I think they do it. I think they pull this off. They Just something about them. When their backs are against the wall, they improve. They get better quickly. And it may be because this team knows if they do not make a trip to the conference finals this year, they could blow things up. Maybe that's it. I just like the confidence of this team because when they get that underdog mentality back, they're a whole new team. They really are. It's like a brand new Clippers team. That's what we've seen so far. But without Kawhi Leonard, I I don't trust Paul George to really pick up for this team and finish this comeback. Now, I would love to be surprised and see Paul George go out there and have a fantastic rest of the series, bring the Clippers back, but it would take some 2014 Indiana Pacers, Paul George, and I haven't seen that in years from him. So, no, I don't think they finished his comeback off. I think we have a Jazz Suns Conference Finals. And now, I talked about it a little bit. The Clippers are very effective with their back against the wall. Why is that? I think part of it is their free throw shooting. They have the ability to get to the line very well. Uh, Not only do they score very well when they get there. Uh, Last game versus the Jazz, they were 31 of 38. They're also getting there a lot. 38 free throw shots is 38 attempts for free points. Uh, A lot of 
just free throw shooting overall is kind of overlooked in today's game. So being able to take that amount of shots from the free throw line is a a big plus, especially in close games. Yeah, and when you look at this Clippers team, I mean, free throw shooting is obviously huge. But also, I talk about it quite a bit in terms of this Clippers team, when they were at their best before these stars got here, it was the underdog mentality. I think they feed off that. I truly believe that they feed off of being the underdogs again, everyone counting them out. You see others step up to the plate and play well. You look at Paul George, Kawhi Leonard in the last matchup, each had 31 points apiece, which has been about the norm. Kawhi Leonard's also put up some bigger performances than that, but Paul George at his best in this playoff run, it's been about 31, 28 to 31 points. But then you have guys like Marcus Morris step up with 24 points. That's all this Clipper team needs. They need a third guy to step up, and not just a little bit, not like a 15-point step up. A big step up from a third scorer. They got that from Marcus Morris. Now this team is ready to be successful because they have role players that can score them 5 to 10 points everywhere. I mean, this is a veteran roster. They have those guys everywhere on this team. They just need someone to step up bigger than that, and they've got that recently. Last two games, they've had that third guy step up for them. In the last game, it was Marcus Morris. That's what this Clipper team needs. And now I think the dynamic shifts, though. Without Kawhi Leonard, now you need some, you need two at least to step up. And you need Paul George to be the best player on the court. Kawhi Leonard, he can do that. I trust him to be the best player on the court at all times. I, I really do, defensively, offensively. But Paul George, no, I don't. I do not trust Paul George to take this team. And that leads me into our next point here. Will Kawhi Leonard's injury sink this team, or do you see Paul George keeping them afloat? I think it's going to sink them. Paul George has been inconsistent at best during the playoffs. They're, or the recent playoffs, he has not been very good. There are the occasional flashes where he goes off for 30, but I don't think you can rely on him to be that 30-point scorer every game because he's just, I don't think he's going to show up. That's that's the reality. I don't think he's going to show up, and if you rely on him to be that main scorer, you're going to lose. And I think the Clippers are going to lose this series. Kawhi, if he was healthy, if he was playing, I think they have a chance to take it. But without their best defender and arguably their best scorer, uh, their chances go pretty much out the window. Yeah, I, I think that could be said for any team. You lose a big star like that, your your chances go out the window. You look at the Lakers team, they lost Anthony Davis. That series is over as well. I, I agree with you. It will sink them. They're, I think they're done. I've said that multiple times. But I am excited to take a look at Paul George. While I've sat here, and yes, I've dogged him, said he can't do it. He hasn't played well since the top-tier Paul George that we know and love since about 2014. I'm excited to see what he does. I'm excited to see how this Clippers team responds. It could be a statement going into the offseason. If Kawhi Leonard sees this team not put any fight and just get knocked out of the playoffs here, ugly loss, two losses to the Jazz, and they lose 4-2, that that has to sit with Kawhi Leonard a little bit. That without me, you guys couldn't even put a fight 
up against this Jazz team after I led you to two straight and brought this series back. Maybe I need more. Maybe I should go get more. But you see Paul George come out here, and let's say they still lose 4-3, but two close games. Two, three close games. Losing seven. I think, and Paul George plays well, I think that's enough. Because right now the Clippers are playing for a lot more than just getting past this Jazz team. Here's the thing with Kawhi Leonard's injury. It's right now, very important game five for them. The fact he's not playing should tell you this injury is serious. A very, very serious injury. If it was just something small, he would be playing. It is a huge game that really changes the momentum in this series. Now also, there's no timetable on his return. That's also pretty scary if you're this Clippers team because let's say they do win and they go up 3-2. He's it's right now not looking like he will be ready. Like he will be ready to play in that game and vice versa. If they lose this game, he won't be playing in the next one. This Clippers team has to make a statement. They've responded well with their backs against the walls. Here it is again. It's a chance for them to step up and play well. And Paul George has he has this really this everyone thinks he can't perform and it's true he hasn't. Here's his opportunity. He's been given the greatest chance to come out here and prove everybody in the media wrong, prove me wrong, everybody, that he still has it and he can keep this team afloat. I'm excited to see it. I really do. I want to see if he can do it. I will be surprised because I don't think he will, but I want to see him go out there and do it. And now looking at this Clippers Jazz series, tied up a two, winner moves on to play the Phoenix Suns. Looking at both these rosters, do either of these teams stand a chance against the Suns? I think the Clippers don't. They just don't have the depth. But the Jazz have at least a chance. Uh, going into the postseason, I had it with uh, Jazz Suns in the Western Conference Finals. And I gave it to the Jazz, but now I think it's probably the Suns. They've just been on fire. Electric. Insert adjective here. They are just so talented and I think they're playing a decent bit above their norm but when you're hot you're hot so I don't think the Jazz can beat the Suns but I think they have a chance and it's going to take a lot of Donovan Mitchell 50 point games to get them past the Suns if they even beat the Clippers. Yeah, when you when I look at both these teams, both of them, Clippers and Jazz on paper, good rosters. I like the Jazz better on paper, but when I look at this Suns team, I don't think, looking at this Western Conference right now, I think the Suns represent it, and I don't think either of these two teams, they'll put up a fight, but I don't think they beat the Suns. I don't think they stand all that great of a chance against this Suns team, because the thing about the Suns is... They play great defense, force a lot of turnovers, and they can shoot the lights out consistently. Consistently. Donovan Mitchell and this Jazz team, last year in the playoffs, they were put up against a team that could shoot the lights out consistently in the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, putting up phenomenal numbers. They got bounced. They got knocked out by the Nuggets. This Suns team does everything that the Nuggets last year did well, except I think they do it a little bit better. And when I look at this Suns team, 
what's the scariest thing in sports when you're the hottest team in your sport? And they are by far the hottest team in basketball right now today. They are. The Chris Paul, um, his COVID protocol that he's going into, it's rumored that he tested positive for it. That is worrisome. Depending on when this series ends, the Suns are going to have to go pretty quickly here. Now, obviously, they're probably hoping this series drags out a little bit, goes to seven, because that gives you a greater chance that Chris Paul's back. Chris Paul right now scored 37 points in a closeout game. If Chris Paul can score almost 40 points, you know Devin Booker can score 40 points for you. And the role players on this Suns team have just stepped up big time. Jay Crowder put together some nice performances throughout the postseason. Cameron Payne has played a huge role. Cam Johnson as well. This team, when you look at it, they have two stars that I think are phenomenal, can shoot the lights out, Chris Paul, Devin Booker. And then they have excellent depth and role players to go with it. The Jazz on paper are the closest, but I don't really think either of these two teams stand a chance. I think the Suns represent the West. They really have played fantastic down the stretch. And now we're going to shift our way into the Eastern Conference here. The Atlanta Hawks come back to tie the series up with the Philadelphia 76ers. Looking at this Hawks team, I counted them out against the Knicks when we did our uh, predictions. I had them getting knocked out there. We both did not have them advancing past this round, but now they've found a way to tie this up 2-2. Are the Hawks the most underrated team in the playoffs? As of right now, I think so. They they don't really have a lot of hype around them. I think part of that is they were only okay uh, during the season. Another part is they don't really have a second star next to Trey Young. And then there's the obvious uh, smaller market. Even though Atlanta's a, a decently sized market, it's just not the biggest sports town. Uh, so yeah, I think it is probably... They are probably the most underrated team. I think some of, and some of that's really kind of warranted, because if you take all, I think it's seven teams left that haven't been eliminated. I don't think I'm putting the Hawks above any of them right now in a seven-game series. So, yeah, they are a little underrated for just overall where they stand as a team but in the playoffs in the hierarchy of which team is best I think at the bottom is kind of where they belong yeah looking at this I don't think they're the most underrated team left I think a lot of people count out that Suns team especially they were not even favorited to win and they were the two seed in the Western Conference they weren't even favorites to win against a struggling Lakers team I think for me, I have to give them most underrated team. Obviously, they have shed that and they've proven why they are such a good team and why they're in the conference finals. But I think they are the most underrated team, and I think they still kind of are. When you look at this, the Suns team, I talked about them a lot. They still are the most underrated team to me. I mean, they have guys stepping up huge, and they're blowing out really good teams. They just swept the Nuggets. They took the Lakers out, dominated the Lakers. The reigning NBA champs dominated them and just swept the Nuggets. They're a dangerous team. I think they're definitely underrated. You hear people talk about the Clippers and the Jazz, like this series 
is a huge difference maker. I don't think it is. But this Hawks team, I think they're right there with them. And I think it starts with their best player, Trey Young. I don't think he has gotten enough respect that he deserves. When you look at it, Luka, I mean, we're ready to call Luka the possible next face of the NBA. We've talked about it before. Him, Zion, those are the faces of the NBA once LeBron James steps away. It's going to be one of those two guys. Trey Young, he's played almost equally as well, and he's performed big time in the playoffs. Luka doesn't have a postseason series win yet. Trey Young, he's into the second round here, and he's put up a great fight against a very good 76ers team, a team you had representing the East and a team I have moving on pretty easily. I mean, this is this 76ers team, I know Joel Embiid is banged up. I get it. And we'll get into that a little bit later in terms of his injury. Still a very good team from top to bottom. They are no joke. And if going into this series, you told me, okay, Joel Embiid's banged up, but they're up 2-0 in the series. I say, okay, probably a sweep. They probably take that. Looks like they're dominating. Trey Young said no. Trey Young's battling back. He has this team rallying around him. And one thing I love about Trey Young, what he's done so far, you saw when he was at MSG and the fans were getting after him, he used that as motivation and fuel to go out there and send the Knicks home. And that's what he did. He's doing that again. And I love it. I absolutely love what Trey Young's doing. So I do think they're very underrated, but not the most underrated team left in the playoffs. And now talking about Trey Young a little bit here. Ranking point guards in today's NBA. Is Trey Young a top five point guard in the league? I'm going to say no, but he is right outside the top five. I'd probably put him at uh, six. There's some kind of caveats, whether you count Ben Simmons Ben Simmons as a point guard, whether you're counting Kyrie or James Harden as a point guard or a shooting guard. But besides that, I have Trey Young right at number six, but he is just so close to being that fifth player. I think if he has just keeps up this pace of how he's been playing, he'll easily reach top five next season. So he's close, but not quite there. Yeah, for me, I was in that same, I was thinking the same way, had him at six comfortably, very comfortably at six. I'm going to push it a little bit more, though. I think he is. I think he is in the top five. When I look at point guards in today's NBA, a couple that stick out, obviously Steph. I mean, Steph's probably the best in the NBA. Then Damian Lillard, another guy. Those are my top two. Playing right now, you got. I mean, Chris Paul's a name you could toss around in there. Kyrie Irving, another name. Kyrie Irving has actually, you look at his numbers this year, averaged just about 28 points a game, 4.8 rebounds, 6.1 assists, while shooting over 51% from the field. He put together a quietly a really good season for the Brooklyn Nets. So outside of those four, though, I think I'm riding with Trey Young. I think I'm going to have him right there at five. And it came down to Ben Simmons, and you talked about him. It came down to him or Trey Young for me at that fifth spot. Where did I want to put them? For me, I went with Trey Young because I think he adds more to my roster. Now, defensively, Ben Simmons, absolutely. He takes that. And then around the rim, I think 
Ben Simmons obviously is more dominating around the rim, but I like Trey Young and his layup package that he does have. He can be successful down there. It's not where he's at his best, but just overall scoring, I go to Trey Young, facilitating, playmaking. I also probably have to lean Trey Young just a little bit. I just like what Trey Young can bring. If I'm building NBA roster, I like what he can bring to my team more than Ben Simmons. And you have to ask yourself, if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, would you rather have Ben Simmons with Joel Embiid or Trey Young with Joel Embiid? Tough question, but I'd probably lean towards Trey Young. I like that a lot, um, what Trey Young would bring to that team. So that's why for me, I was able to push him into that fifth spot. But top six, absolutely, comfortably, very comfortably. But I want to say five. I want to say four or five. I think there's a good argument to put him within that spot. And now our last topic here before we take our first break. I talked about Joel Embiid's injury. This is one that's been bothering him for a little bit now. How worried are you about this injury? I'm very worried. I expressed concern uh, last week, last show. There's definitely, he has a history of injuries to his legs uh, and overall just he's a little bit injury prone and it was an injury to his knee which is probably the either that or ankle is the most important body part for a uh, any athlete but especially a basketball player he struggled last game he was four for 20 uh, shooting and just did not play well and just kind of looked bad that being said, uh, during the game that's going on right now, Sixers-Hawks, he's 8-for-8 eight eight with 17 points. So there, that might have just been a very off day for him. I'm still worried about it because it is a knee injury, and those can be tricky. But he's, he's proving me wrong as we speak. Yeah, obviously any injury, especially lower body, you're going to be worried about. And it's the way it should be. I mean, those type of injuries, especially in basketball, are more common. And they also help they help derail careers easier than other injuries. The soft tissue stuff like that, it's dangerous in the NBA. So there's what I'm worried about, first and foremost, is longevity. Joel Embiid, staying healthy. I mean, we trust the process for quite a while. And we finally get to see what the process has done. But in terms of this series, if you asked me last week, I would have said, not too worried. I think they're fine. I think they get out of here. Now, Joel Embiid's going to have to play really well to get past this Hawks team. Right now, they have a pretty commanding lead on the game, but still halfway through the second quarter, so still plenty of time there. They need Joel Embiid to step up and play the way he is right now playing eight for eight 17 points he has to play like that because you look at it we talked about the Ben Simmons argument he's not gonna step up like and score you 35 40 points he's not gonna do it his points come exclusively from inside the three-point line and I would even go as far to say exclusively from around the rim jump shot three-point shot not very good at all three-point shot barely over 30 percent shooting this year for me, Embiid is the scorer. He's 
one of the best, if not the best, defensive player on this team. The only one I think that you could argue would be Ben Simmons being there in terms of defensively. Overall, he's your best player. If he's not on the court, this team is in trouble. Trey Young and the Hawks, they're very, it's underrated, but they're also very hot right now. They're shooting the lights out, playing really well. His injury, I'm worried about it. I am. But if he can come out here and play like this, get through this series, I mean, yes, this series is important, but the next one is even more important. If you thought the Hawks were going to be tough, you should see what those Brooklyn Nets are doing right now to the Bucks. I mean, last night, without Harden had five points in the game, and also you have no Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant put on a show. So for me, I'm worried more about next series. Can Embiid do what we see tonight, or are we going to have an inconsistent Embiid like the last game? That is what you're going to have to juggle. And we'll get into the nets Bucks series here in just a little bit. But we're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the Suns-Nuggets series just real quick before we move into that big Bucks versus nets series. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And now we're going to move into the Suns-Nuggets series. Suns swept the Nuggets. Very easy series for them. But looking at this Nuggets team, last year, I thought they could have done a lot more damage than they did. Almost took the Lakers out. Took them. They made a good run at them. And now this year, without Jamal Murray... I think they took another step forward in terms of their overall team. Will learning to play without Jamal Murray help this Nuggets team in the long run? I think so. It's going to give them just whenever they're playing in an everyday game, they're going to be a better team because they have that chemistry built up for when Murray's on the bench, whenever he's not playing or if he's out for a couple games here and there. It's going to force other guys to have to elevate their game and just be able... It's going to make other guys have to be able to hit those shots and take those big-time, big-game, big-time shots. And getting that experience to other guys is helpful. Now... Obviously, they're just a much better team with Jamal Murray, but I think playing without him is going to be helpful in the long run. Yeah, I agree. I think it is helpful in the long run. In terms of the younger guys, Michael Porter Jr. took a big leap forward. He was a guy that injured a lot in college. He's taking that step forward finally. He had a very pretty good series against the Suns at that. Aaron Gordon's a guy that... He's going to be interesting in terms of how you use Jokic, Gordon, and Jamal Murray. Yes, all of them fit on the court at the same time perfectly, but just in terms of who who's going to take what role for this team, and then the bench guys that have stepped up. And that's kind of what you alluded to. For me, what I think has helped this Nuggets team out the most, and when Jamal Murray steps back on the court, it's going to help him out the most, is Nikola Jokic went from a very good center to the best big man in the league, and the MVP. That's a huge step. That is massive. Jamal Murray, he is one of the best point guards in the NBA. He started to show that last year. 
He was starting to really start to feel himself in the three-point line, and he was very consistent at that. He was gaining that type of Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, and maybe even Trey Young type range with the Nuggets last postseason. Getting that back is only going to help this team out because you saw a lot of defenses start to double-team Jokic, and he still was successful night in and night out. That's why he was the MVP. He remained consistent night in and night out while getting double teamed and everyone knowing they had to stop him. That's going to free up. Murray coming back is going to free up Jokic a lot. Porter Jr. coming off the bench, whatever role they decide to use him with, he now has that second type of scoring ability role. He can be that guy for this team. He was very inconsistent the last postseason they had with Murray and Jokic on the court. He's now a consistent player. You have Aaron Gordon, who is a good player, but you have to figure out what he needs to do for this team. Some games he's scoring almost 30 points. Some games, like the last one they played in, he's scoring eight. He needs to figure his role out within within this team. Maybe getting Murray back helps that out a little bit, helps him understand his role more. But for me, the biggest thing that they gained from this is Jokic turning into the best big in the league. And he was already, it was him and Davis were the argument. But now you look at Jokic, just consistency, not injured, really good three-point shot, really good down low, great fadeaway shot. He's the best big in the league. He's the MVP. That's going to be the biggest thing for Jamal Murray. And now I talked about it a little bit earlier, CP3 or the point god. He's in COVID protocols and could miss some time. How big of a loss would losing CP3 be if they lose him for, let's say, the first two games of this series, next series? Uh, that's definitely tough. He's... I'd say your best player on that Suns team, and if you miss a big chunk of time from him, you're you're going to have a hard time playing whoever you're going up against. But I think they can get past it. We saw against the Lakers, he had that shoulder issue and was playing basically one-handed. I think one-handed Chris Paul is better than no Chris Paul, but it's you still played minus a decent chunk of his production, and you took that series against the Lakers. They were banged up, but a win's a win. So what the Suns really need is a drawn-out Clippers-Jazz series and for whatever the COVID protocol is in the NBA, they need Chris Paul to be back as soon as possible. Day one, just back and that high level, that scorching hot Chris Paul needs to be there game one. Yeah, when I look at this, it's a big loss in terms of what you're losing. Now, you made some great points when going over that. With the Lakers series, he was banged up. There are some games he didn't even score 10 points, and they still were successful. Another good thing about CP3 is he's, depending on what happens here, he's probably, well, I guess this isn't a good thing. He's not going to be around the team. If he's in COVID protocols, he's not going to be on the sideline. And that's one good thing about Chris Paul is that he is a coach, another coach on the court. He's one of the smartest players in the NBA. He's been around a long time. 
he knows what to expect, and he's no longer around with this with this Suns team. When you look at what Chris Paul does for this team, yes, he can score 37. Yes, he can facilitate. But just being able to identify what the other team's trying to do to you, set everyone else up, that's going to be the biggest thing that they miss. And also just his veteran leadership, when things get tough in crunch time, he's that guy this team looks up to, to kind of step up, make a play, or keep this team calm in those big moments. That's not there. That's going to be the biggest thing that they miss from Chris Paul. It's not going to be the 40 points. It's going to be what everything else that he does for this team. Now, I think the Suns are in a good position where they can last a couple games without Chris Paul. If he's back by game three, I think there's against Jazz or Clippers, there's a good chance that that series is 1-1 and they are moving on. If it's a Kawhi Leonard-less Clippers team, probably 2-0 and the Suns are up 2-0. But the biggest issue is when you look at this series between the Jazz and Clippers, with no Kawhi Leonard, we talked about it. I think that series is over 4-2. I don't think Paul George is going to step up. That's two more games there. The biggest thing this comes down to is Chris Paul, it's going to be a 10-14 to 14 day window because the rumor is he did test positive for COVID. Now, if he's unvaccinated, it's a 10-14 to 14 day window before he can come back and play. Two weeks gone, that's going to be deep into the series. Now, if he is vaccinated and did test positive, his time, his protocol time is shorter than that. It's shorter than the 10 to 14 days. That is going to be a huge domino in this whole scenario is was he vaccinated or not because it's going to get him on the court quicker. And when you look at it, two weeks in a series against the Jazz, that could be enough to sink this thing. That could be it. If this series is done quick in the next two games without Kawhi Leonard, that could sink this Suns season. Now, if he's out there playing, I think it's a good fight, and I think they stay hot. But this team's going to have to adapt big time, but they have the role players to overcome that type of issue. It just can't be for an extended period of time. And now looking at this series, we know the Suns are a great team. We know the Nuggets are a great team. You could argue the Nuggets had some holes on this roster without Jamal Murray, was this series just an absolute flex of confidence by this Suns team, just showing how dominant they are? Or did you see some true holes within this Nuggets team that they need to work on? I think it was a flex by the Suns, just showing that they're for real, basically. That they are going to be probably a serious finals contender for the next couple years, at least while Chris Paul's there. And possibly even past that it's it's really kind of a coming out party showing how good they really are and I still think they're not really talked about enough and that's probably due to Phoenix being a smaller market but it's it's really apparent now to I'd probably say most fans that the Suns are a top three team in the NBA yeah, why, while I agree that this was a flex by the Suns, I will say, though, I do think the true holes of this Nuggets team showed. And you may think, what type of hole are you looking at? This team had depth players play well. Nikola Jokic, MVP, playing consistently. Just that one true piece. And that's Jamal Murray. It's on this team. It's just injured. Put Jamal Murray in this series. I think this is a fantastic series. 
Because now you have Murray, who you saw last postseason, he was putting outrageous numbers up, 45, 50 points consistently. He was doing 35-plus every night in the postseason like it was nothing. Put him with this team, this Nuggets team, I think this is a very good series. Now, I still think the Suns come out on top just because how hot they are as a team. But this game, go, this series, I think goes six games at least with Jamal Murray on the court. He's that, he's that dangerous for this team. And I think while the Suns, yes, hot, one of the hottest teams in basketball, probably the hottest team in basketball, playing on all cylinders, Jamal Murray was just the one missing piece from this Nuggets team. They have the depth to match up with the Suns. They have an MVP. They just needed their elite big-time scorer. And I think they make that a series, possibly even win. I think it's a lot better than a sweep. Now we're going to move to the Eastern Conference, in which is a very turned into a very good series. The Milwaukee Bucks, after trailing 0-2 in the series, tied the series up at two before the Nets last night won in Game Five and made a 3-2 series lead for the Nets. Now, when you look at this game last night. Giannis, after the performance, said he would like to guard Durant the rest of the series. Is that a smart move for this Bucks team? I think so. I'm not really sure why he's not guarding Durant already. There's only, as of right now with injuries, it's Durant is kind of the net sole star. So you put your best defender on their best scorer. It's not necessarily that easy because of, you know, pick and rolls, how the Bucks want to play that, either switching or having the on-ball defender go above the screen, fight through it, or go under the screen. That's a whole other thing, but with what, how Giannis was playing defense or how he was tasked to play defense was just kind of stand in the corner, guarding a guy who might take a three. Just standing next to uh, Joe Harris, which, I mean, that's an important job because Joe Harris can hit threes, but that's not where you're going to put the defensive player of the year. You want him on the main ball handler, their main scorer, and that's Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think it's smart in terms of by default. Giannis should be going up against Kevin Durant, especially with, like you said, Harden and Kyrie out. That should be by default at this point. But looking at it, it's what should be done. I still don't think it's enough. I really don't. Kevin Durant right now is proving that he's on a different level when you look at what he's doing. And Giannis has gone against Durant quite a bit in this series. And from what most of what I've seen, Durant's got the better of him in those one-on-one matchups. And I think it does have to do with KD's elite ability to shoot off the dribble. That's what is giving Giannis fits. So while, yes, I do think it's smart, because that's, I mean, like you said, defensive play, yes, what should be done, I don't think it's enough. I really don't. Durant right now is playing unguardable. You're going to have to keep up scoring-wise with him. And the Bucks in the last night's game did it looks about just about everything they could do 
to keep up with him. Giannis, 34. Lopez, 15. Middleton, 25. Holiday, 19. Connaughton, 10. I don't know what else you're really going to get from this Bucks team except maybe Giannis finds another gear offensively. That's the only thing you can hope for right now as a Bucks fan. And now talking about Kevin Durant a little bit more here, how impressive was Kevin Durant's night last night? 49 points, 49 point triple double. It was probably one of the best playoff games ever or single player playoff games. Just looking at it from a purely statistical point, uh, there is a stat that kind of measures how good a player's game was. It's called game score. That was the third highest game score in a playoff game all time. Only two better, and that was uh, Damian Lillard this year and Charles Barkley in 94. So elite company there in just terms of overall production and just kind of how locked in he was. The the mental game he was playing against the Bucks, showing I'm just going to dismantle you completely. I can do this by myself, and it's going to be easy for me. Just showing off that is such a huge factor. So I think it's up there in the most impressive playoff performances ever. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think Kevin Durant got a big boost in confidence after he heard me last week say that he was the best player in the NBA. But when you look at what Kevin Durant did last night, he this is the best playoff performance I've seen since a LeBron James with the Cavs going up against those really good Warriors teams where he's having the 50-point, 40-point triple doubles. Kevin Durant had 17 rebounds last night, 10 assists, 49 points. He had almost 20 rebounds and probably should have had 50 points. When you look at this Nets team, it goes where Kevin Durant goes. And right now, he's playing like the best player on the planet. That show It, it shows you, too, the Nets needed this. Losing two straight, they needed Kevin Durant to have a great performance. No Kyrie, James Harden's banged up. Probably shouldn't have played. Kevin Durant needed a performance like that. And for him to step up in the biggest moments for the Nets... When you look at Nets playoff history, this is by far and away the best playoff performance by a Net ever. And that's what they needed. That's why it's so impressive to me. Is a lot of people since Kevin Durant went to the Warriors, they questioned, oh, you know, you need other stars to win. Kevin Durant, I, he's on like a little revenge tour here where it's like, hey, I don't need James Harden. I don't need Kyrie Irving. I can do this by myself. Down 18 points. And it looked dark. It looked like the Bucks were about to go up 3-2. Big momentum shift going back to Milwaukee for Game 6. He shows up and has a performance like that. That's why it's so impressive to me, the moment. Everyone's expecting Kevin Durant to play well. And he, play, he outdid my expectations by a lot. By a lot. 49-point triple-double, 17 boards. It's one of the best playoff performances I've ever seen. I've ever witnessed personally for me. And now looking at this series, up 18 points at one point. The Milwaukee Bucks were in the second half. Will last night's game haunt the Bucks for this rest of the series? Yeah, absolutely. You saw James Harden go out there, come back a little earlier, and then just 
not play very well, they the Nets are going to have time to rest Harden in between games. And just for game six, he's going to be healthier. And then if the Bucks do manage to get that and push it to a game seven, James Harden, again, more time to heal and rest. So by not winning and going up 3-2 versus the Nets, you allow Harden to get healthier. And you've just made your made the possibility of making the finals even harder. It's it's frustrating to watch because I think this Bucks team can be good and their biggest drawback right now is their coaching because they have just been bad. The offense has looked absolutely non-existent. It's just been isos. That's it. Just Drew Holiday iso. Giannis Iso, Chris Middleton Iso. You need more movement of the ball than just having guys go one-on-one versus their defender. That whole team needs to play better offensively, and it starts with the coaching. I This series, if the Bucks go up 3-2, if the Bucks are up the team up 3-2, I think they finish this series off. When you look at it, you have this Nets team, we've talked about before, they've hit adversity in this postseason, but nothing like being down 3-2 with James Harden rusty and no Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving's not even traveling to Milwaukee for Game 6. No Kyrie, hurt Harden, and Durant put on a phenomenal night, and you still came out on top. That Nets team, Steve Nash, first year as a head coach, would be put in his toughest position. Three straight wins for the Bucks, Confidence through the roof. Going back home for a closeout game. To finally exercise these issues that everyone said you've had. Postseason woes. You answer all that. Them losing this game ends this series. I don't even think... I do not think this goes to seven. The Nets last night put this series away. James Harden scored five points. He had zero at halftime. If Kevin Durant is going to go out there and perform like that and take that game away, yes, it's going to haunt this Bucks team. That should have been a cl- game they should have been able to close out and beat this Nets team. I know Jeff Green also played fantastic. Had over 25 points. But that's a game you have to finish and you have to win. This Nets team banged up right now. Steal one at their place. Go back home for game six. Great chance you pull that series off. You let them take this game, now up 3-2. Can you win two straight games again? I don't think so. I really don't. You got lucky in the one game. 86-83 victory. You will never, I don't care how good a defense you play, the Nets will never score 83 points in a game again. When you look at all these stars that they have, never will that happen again. Last night was the momentum shift. Three straight victories going back home. Bucks win this series. They do. And I had the Nets as my finals winner. I have them being the winner of this postseason. That game's going to haunt the Bucks because now they're going to get knocked out of the postseason. And when you look at this season, it came down to that game. You let Kevin Durant take over and put this game away. It's a tough way to go out, but it's what happened. 
And we talked about earlier, Giannis guarding Durant. In the biggest moments, that should be a must at all times. Especially when Kevin Durant has over 40 points. He has to be guarding him. And last night, I think, really did. I think it put this team away. We're going to take our next break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to take a look at James Harden's return and also give our final prediction on who comes out in this series before we move into some head coaching talk. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And before we went to break, we were talking about the Bucks and the Nets and how 3-2 series, Nets up, how tough it would have been for them, how tough it will be for them to win this series, down 3-2 now. But looking at James Harden, he came back a little earlier than expected. It was an important game for the Nets, so you see why he did, but looked rusty. Are you worried about James Harden? I am, a little bit. Uh, it wasn't that he wasn't playing a lot, because he played 45 minutes. He played almost the whole game. He just couldn't make a shot. He was 1 for 10 and 0 for 8 from behind the line. He made his free throws, which is, you know, good for him, but only 5 points from a guy who's playing 45 minutes is not good enough. A guy of that caliber, he should be scoring a lot more. So there is a worry, but I think... If the Nets can take this one, take this series, he should be able to rest up enough to really compete against either Atlanta or uh, the 76ers. Yeah, and a quick update on that Sixers-Hawks game. Hawks currently trail by 22 going into half. But to get back to this James Harden talk here, am I worried about him? No, I'm not. I'm worried in terms of him coming back early. We've seen players come back early from injury, and that be a big mistake, them not be ready. When, in terms of his numbers, I'm not worried about it because as he starts to get some more games under his belt, he's going to be fine. This team, all three of them, dealt with injuries a lot of the year and had to find their rhythms once again, and that's what James Harden has to do. He's been consistently one of the best shooters in the NBA, one of the best overall scorers in the NBA for years now, since he took over with the Rockets. He's been that guy. So I'm not worried about him getting back to form there. I agree with you. It's just going to be games. I mean, just getting those games back underneath your belt. So for me, I'm not worried about him. But in terms of that injury, I, I was worried that he came back early. We saw what happened with Anthony Davis in that Lakers series out within the first five, six minutes and probably would have missed the rest of the series had the Lakers won that game. James Harden in this one, if he would have had to miss the rest of the series, would you have been worried? Yeah, I'd been pretty worried about this Nets team because can Durant replicate a 49-point triple-double? I'm not saying he can't. Don't get me wrong. He's a great player, but I'm not going to bet on it. I'm not going to bet that he will. So that would have been worrisome for me, but I think he'll catch his groove and the Nets will be just fine. Now, switching over into the head coaching carousel in the NBA, there's quite a few openings here, six openings. The Boston Celtics, the Indiana Pacers, New Orleans Pelicans, Orlando Magic, Portland Trailblazers, and the Washington Wizards. Now, we're going to go through and rank 
those from least favorite to your favorite opening in the NBA. And let's start with your least favorite opening in the league. Who is it for you, David? I'm saying Washington. They're in that weird middle ground of barely made the postseason, but got knocked out first round, weren't all that good. And I just don't like what that team has as a whole. Uh, Russell Westbrook is going to put up really good stats, but he's not going to look good doing it. He's not efficient, and I don't know how much you can change that. Russell Westbrook is just, he's going to be who he is, and he's your star player next to Bradley Beal, and Russell Westbrook just isn't efficient enough for me, and I I don't like that team composition, and I don't like the spot that organization is in as a whole. So I'm putting Washington at the bottom. Yeah, for me, Washington was in that conversation. They It was tossed around for me, 5-6 there. I'll get into Washington here in a little bit. My least favorite for me is Orlando. And when I look at the Magic, I look at this team, I say, okay, what can I build with? If I'm a head coach coming to the Magic, what am I building with? I'm just looking over this roster, and there's not a whole lot that sticks out to me that I should get excited about. There's some names. There's Wendell Carter Jr., Fultz. He's really not played like he should. Jonathan Isaac, Terrence Ross. The one that gets me the most excited is Cole Anthony, the point guard, the end of the year that he had. That gets me the most excited, but I don't necessarily have a whole bunch of draft picks. How do I build this team? If I'm a head coach and I want to stay in the league for a little bit here, how do I build this team up? It needs work, a lot of work. For me, when I look at this Wizards team, they have Beal and Westbrook, which having Beal, I should say, gives them a step up for me. I go, okay, Bradley Beal, I can either trade him for a bunch of picks or I can roll him out there for another year. With this Magic team, I just don't see any way you get better except through free agency and the draft. And the NBA, those type of builds normally take the longest. Now, are they the most successful? Sure. You look at the Warriors. They did a great job of it. Draymond, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry did a fantastic job building that team up. But look how long it took to really hit their stride. Steph's been there quite a while now. And that team really didn't hit its stride until 2015. Steph had already been there five years plus at that point. So for me, that's why it's the least least liked spot for me is this Magic team. Just because of, I don't know where I'm going to go. You can only go one direction with this team. You can only go up. But how do I get there? It's more of a question mark for me. Now moving into that fifth spot here. Who do you have there? For me, the fifth spot is Portland. They're similar to what I talked about with Washington, just a little bit better. And they having Damian Lillard is going to just carry them more. Overall, they're not in a great place. You have Damian Lillard, who's going to carry you to the playoffs and possibly through one round of the playoffs, but your defense is an absolute mess. You don't have a 
quality second option next to Dame, and there really isn't a whole lot you can do. There isn't much mobility around him. There are some guys you could move, but I don't think the return is worth it. So you can't really fully start from scratch, and you can't take a couple pieces and move forward and build around them. You're just kind of stuck in no man's land, and I think that's the worst place to be as a coach. Yeah, that is a tough position to be in. My fifth spot is the Wizards, and you had them in your sixth spot. Looking at this team, I talked about it a little bit. You have Bradley Beal, and for me, okay, that's something if you can convince him to stay, that's something you can work with. If he still wants out, trade value there is going to be nice. And Russell Westbrook's a guy that, while I'm not too excited about the idea of keeping him on my roster, I think if you put him on the trade market, a team like the Lakers would go, I mean, LeBron and Russell Westbrook are really good friends, hang out a lot. I think a team like the Lakers, after the season they just had, would be willing to overpay for somebody like that to bring in with LeBron James. Now, if I was the Lakers, I would not. But I could see that team doing that. When I look at it, Westbrook and Beal, if you do keep them together and try to add to this team, you can go that direction. I don't think it's your best long term, but you could go that direction, keep yourself successful. You're still in the Eastern Conference. So if you can push your way up into that fourth, fifth seed, you have a chance of making a little bit of a run. You still need more. But when I look at this team, Hachimura as well, young player for them, it's it's a little exciting to me. I like those three and what I can build here and also the possibility. I talked about with Orlando building that roster up. If I don't like what I have here and I want to, I come in and I want to make some trades, you get excellent trade value with some of these guys. Bradley Beal. There are a lot of teams in the NBA that pay premium to get Bradley Beal. Russell Westbrook, I think you get a decent trade. It's not going to be anything like we saw when he was traded to the Rockets, but I still think you could get a very decent trade for him, and you could build around Hachimura. So for me, I have the Wizards there at that fifth spot. Now moving into the fourth spot, where do you? who do you have in the fourth spot, I should say? I have Orlando. Overall, I, I think I'm a little higher on our Orlando than most people, just because you have so much freedom there. Like you said, the only direction you can go is up. And you don't have a ton of picks, but you do have your pick, which will be pretty good, and the Bulls pick this year, as well as a couple seconds in uh, upcoming years. Uh, I think someone who gets forgot about a little bit is Gary Harris. He's now in Orlando, and I think he can be a pretty solid guy to build around. And there are pieces on this roster that I don't think they've fully explored. And there's, I think there's a diamond in the rough there somewhere. One or two guys who's going to really come out and be able to be that star player in Orlando. Not exactly sure who it's going to be, but I think I think Orlando's going in the right direction and being the coach there is I is I think 
there are worse places you can be. Yeah, for me, in my fourth spot, I have the Indiana Pacers. I look at this Pacers team, you have some pieces to like. You really do. You have Sabonis, you have Karis LeVert, Miles Turner. Those are three guys that stick out to me right off the bat with this roster. Miles Turner, he's he's pretty efficient down low. Recently, he hasn't played to his best basketball. You have to get him back to playing his top basketball. Because when he is, he's a dominant player. Karis LeVert's the guy that, I mean, when he's not injured, a very good player. A very good type of role player, especially if he's going to be like your number three option on a team. He would be perfect for that role. And then you look at Sabonis, an all-star, but a guy that is never going to be a number one. That's why we're looking at this Pacers team, finding a new head coach, not being all that successful in the postseason the last couple of years. Because Sabonis isn't that elite number one type of guy that can lead teams. We talk about needing superstar duos. Sabonis and Lavert does not equal postseason success. Good. They're good players. Don't get me wrong. All-star for Sabonis. Lavert, very good player at that. But they're not an elite duo that's going to get you a win against Anthony Davis and LeBron James. It's not going to happen like that. So when I look at this team, I have them at four just because I like what I can build around. I just need to go in here and get that other star. Get my guy who's going to lead this team, be that number one guy. If we went off of play in the bubble, TJ Warren is that guy. He was fantastic in the bubble. Where did he go? That's what I want to know. But when I look at this team, there's a lot to like, just not enough for me to put them over some of these other teams I'm going to get to because each of these other teams I have remaining have an absolute superstar on that roster to build around and have a face of your team already. So now we're moving into the third best head coaching opening left. Who do you have there at that three spot? I'm going to say uh, this team you just mentioned, Indiana. Uh, I really like what the Pacers have. Uh, I think you you talked about it pretty well, but I'm a little higher on those those uh, key guys than you are. I think if you really bring out the best in Karis Levert and Demonte and Sabonis, you can win a championship. I think they're one of those teams that has a very solid core, and some of their guys are really on the cusp of being that kind of NBA superstar. You have that in Miles Turner, Sabonis, and Levert, and I think the possibility of that is enough to kind of move you forward. And if they can, they're, they're one of those teams where if they can bring in a superstar, whoever it is, I think that takes them to the next level. That takes them into deep playoff contention because they do have a pretty solid roster. You have those those kind of main three that are going to be anchoring your team. You have Malcolm Brogdon, who's definitely a fantastic role player. T.J. Warren was hurt this year, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of T.J. Warren, and I'm a huge T.J. McConnell fan. I think he is just very slept on. Not necessarily the best player in the league, but he's just not talked about enough. And, of course, Dougie McBuckets, Doug McDermott, just knocking down threes. I think there is definitely 
work to be done on this roster, but they're if they can do it well and bring in a star, they have finals aspirations. Yeah, my third spot, I had the Portland Trailblazers, and they're a little bit higher than I would have liked, but that just goes to show the amount of respect I have for Damian Lillard as a player. What he's done with this Trailblazers team is impressive. Whenever they're in a playoff series, it seems like, okay, this is over. Here comes Damian Lillard, and it's a game again. They're not that far away. I mean, I'm not saying they're they're pretty far away from winning a championship because they do need to get some better depth on this team. It's decent depth, but I'd like to see an improved depth on this team, and you need a second star. So there's work to be done. But just the fact that you have Damian Lillard, for me as a head coach, I'm instantly interested in this job. Because Damian Lillard makes my job one of the easiest ones in basketball. So having him, now let's say he wants out. That's a different different question. But still, trading Damian Lillard, you are going to get a giant haul back for Damian Lillard. Lots of picks, players. You would get so much back that and freedom to build this team however you want. For me, I would do everything I can to keep Damian Lillard. But having Lillard... Getting a second superstar on this team, they're a contender. Right now, the Blazers are a playoff team, but they're not a true contender with just Damian Lillard. They're not. Getting a second superstar, and they're a contender. They're a team that could find their, find their way to the conference finals if they get a second superstar because that's how good Damian Lillard is. If I'm coming here as a head coach, I'm when I'm going into my interview meeting, I'm saying, hey, we're getting a second star. And it's going to happen right away. We're going to be a win-now team. We're going to show Dame, hey, we're going to be successful now. And this is how it's going to go. If you can get that with this Trailblazers team, they're a very, very dangerous team. So for me, it's why I have them as that third spot just because of Damian Lillard. And now we're moving into our second spot. And who do you have there? Uh, I have the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm I'm a big fan of this Pelicans team. They aren't quite there yet. They have not been a great team, but there are those superstar pieces that you can build around relatively easily. The obvious one, Zion Williamson, is just going to be a star in this league. And Brandon Ingram... Sometimes, kind of, he can show flashes as well as Lonzo Ball is in that kind of okay, might be a star, might not. And personally, one of my favorite players, Steven Adams, is just a lockdown big. And I think you have a lot of maneuverability here to just really focus on building around Zion, and you can really advanced pretty well into the future. I think relatively easily get into the postseason if you build a good team around him. And you have a lot of picks to do it with. Not necessarily all first-rounders, but you have, I think it's six second-rounders coming into this next draft. That's, That's a lot of players. So I think New Orleans is... 
high on my list of places I personally would go. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. My second spot, I have the Pelicans as well. And you talked about the big name guys. Obviously, Brandon Ingram, All Stars, Zion Williamson. I mean, one of the best players in the NBA, and he's only going to get better. Another guy that I'm excited about, and if they can develop him the right way, makes them one of the better back front court duos in the NBA. That's Jackson Hayes at center. He was another pick that they used in that Zion Williamson draft. Another guy that they brought in, if they can really develop him, he shows the high-flying, highlight reel plays a lot. If they can turn him into a well-rounded player, that front court of Zion and Jackson Hayes can be very scary. Then you add in Brandon Ingram there at small forward, who has been an all-star. Like you said, could work on consistency, but is an all-star. You just need to find some other shooters. That's what this team needs is just some true scoring shooters. When I look at it, Lonzo Ball, he's never really lived up to the hype, and he's not a great shooter. He's improving, but he's not a great shooter. He's not Ben Simmons bad, but it's not great. You need a better shooter than that. You look at the trade package, the last piece, another piece of that trade, I should say, not the last piece, but Josh Hart as well, shooting guard, not really done much for this Pelicans team. A nice role player, bench player for your team, but really I don't expect him to be much more than that for this team. Find some shooters for this team, get Zion to stay healthy, and just develop this team. That's When they trade away Anthony Davis, that's all it was, was Okay, we have all this young team, develop them. Let them turn into stars. That's the approach that they took, getting rid of Anthony Davis. Now, I know he wanted out, but when you trade him away for all those young Lakers players that the Lakers weren't going to wait to develop, that's what you had to do. Bring in a coach that can develop players. And that's one thing you're not going to know until you get him in the building. This is going to be Zion's third coach in three years for him in the NBA. Find a guy who you're going to keep, be consistent, and this team can be dangerous. They have a lot of the foundation. I would say the foundation is laid. It is absolutely laid. You have your star. You have good depth, good role players. Get some get some shooters in here. Get some guys that can hit some buckets from the outside. And I think they are a dangerous team. That's why they're the number two team for me. And now looking at the number one spot, best head coaching opening. Who is it for you? For me, Boston. Easily. Boston is just a team that underperformed this year absolutely that is it, it's tough to see because I think they they could have been so much better than what they were but you have two legitimate stars in Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown and a pretty solid just overall team I think they definitely need to work on their depth and bench is the most the two most important pieces but you have some room to maneuver there you have guys you can possibly trade for either assets or pick picks or players either one and i think you can really mold this team into what you want because there's so much versatility there one of the things they really need to focus on is developing a good big man because right now they're struggling uh, rebounding-wise. I don't think Tristan Thompson's the guy to be there. 
but the foundation is there and they've showed that they can win it's just really round out that team and get them to perform consistently and a little more efficiently I think with the right plays and the right just teamwork all together they can they're in prime position to compete for a finals yeah it's my favorite spot as well the Boston Celtics I've talked about it before Jason Tatum and you talked about Tatum and Jalen Brown Jason Tatum found his stride again in the postseason he got back to what he did well and be the lead guy it's what he had to do and that's what he does well if I'm a new coach coming in Jason Tatum building around him Jalen Brown great piece with him he can be that number two for Jason Tatum if you can get good depth, like you talked about, around this team, Jalen Brown can be that number two guy to help propel this team. Now, if you're going up against the Nets, a fully healthy Nets team, I'm not sure any team in the league stands a chance against them. So I'm not going to count them in this. But look at every other Eastern Conference team. A well, a, a good depth Celtics team with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as the two stars. I think could get you to the finals, could get you to represent the East. Maybe not win, but represent the East. For me, if I'm this, I'm a coach coming in here, I'm moving Kemba Walker just in terms of getting some money around. The, I would like to find an elite point guard here. The Celtics have been trying to find it for a little bit now. Kyrie, Kemba, neither have worked out like they should for this team. Free up some money, get in, whether it be a big man, like you said, get an elite guy in there. Build this team up because the pieces are there. It's just some finishing touches and get back into contention. When this team's healthy, they should be in contention every year. So now just coming into the situation, adding to this team, I think is huge. And with Brad Stevens, this team kind of lost focus and they didn't buy in to Brad Stevens anymore. And it was noticeable about midseason when they really started to really struggle. Now, new head coach. Stevens into the front office I think we can see the Celtics bounce back and possibly if they make a couple big splashes I think they could be the best version of the Celtics we've seen so far in the NBA and they're in the conference finals not that long ago just a few years ago against the Cleveland Cavaliers we're going to take our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct when we come back we're going to get into our NFL predictions the NFC South, the reigning champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will get ranked tonight. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back in to Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KLA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And like I said before the break, we're going to get into our NFC South predictions. We've made it through our AFC and NFC East so far. Now it's time for the reigning Super Bowl champions. To be ranked, and David, do they come in at your number one spot in this division? They do. Uh, relatively comfortably, I have them at 13-4. and four. The only reason they're not 14-3 and three is because they, I have them resting a bunch of starters in that last week because they've already made the playoffs, and they uh, take a loss to Carolina. But the, there isn't a whole lot that hasn't been said about Tampa. Another year of chemistry and building together as an offense and just a team overall. You get every starter on your team back and guys are going to be healthy that weren't. 
Mike Evans, especially. Uh, he was banged up throughout that, pretty much that entire year. And I think it's just going to be roll it back. That is, for teams that have thought that, and people have thought that about teams, they most of the time aren't, they don't live up to expectations. But I think Tampa's going to, going to play very well this season yeah I have Tampa Bay as well in that first spot I have them actually coming in at 15 and 2 on the season I have them coming in with the record like that because when you look at this team on paper there is not another team that competes on paper with this roster going into next season when you look at all the names they brought back and when you see that they're re-signing so like oh, okay well they just re-signed them if you look at the names, just overall, their off-season additions list in terms of re-signing, guys they brought in, draft, they probably had the best off-season NFL history. They brought everybody back, and these are big-name guys that they found a way to bring back. We're talking Antonio Brown. I know he's not the same guy, but the name, Antonio Brown, what he can bring to a team. Rob Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette, Shaq Barrett, Chris Godwin. Those are just a few. Levante David as well. Those are just a few names that they brought back. There is plenty more with this team. And you look at that offense, it really started to find its stride down the stretch last year. Tom Brady had to go on the road in two straight playoff games, three straight playoff games, and won all three of them, beating some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, NFC Championship game, took him out. Patrick Mahomes took him out. Drew Brees, I know, declining Drew Brees. But still, they had lost twice to that team during the regular season. Took them out. And then, obviously, with the Washington football team, a struggling team, but a good defense at that. This team, I think, is just going to get better next season. And O.J. Howard, adding him into the mix again, another weapon for this team. They also brought in Giovanni Bernard. And when you look at that, you're like, oh, it's not really much. That is an excellent receiving threat out of the backfield. Talk about that New England system. You look at Deion Lewis, James White, all guys, Rex Burkhead, also Danny Woodhead, all guys that not big-name running backs whatsoever, but excellent out of the backfield and were fantastic with Tom Brady. Now you have Giovanni Bernard receiving threat out of the backfield. You have Leonard Fournette, more of a power back, and then Ronald Jones as well, a guy that they hope to develop even more. This team is scary, and last thing I even have to say about this team Adding Joe Tyrone from Washington, that's a big pickup as well. Another edge rusher for this team, Jason Pierre-Paul, and then you have Shaq Barrett. Then you have probably the best linebacker duo in football with Devin White and Levante David. I mean, I could go on for days about this team. I really could. I think they go 15-2 just because last season they got hot the second half of the year. I think they come into this year ready to roll from day one. Their division, got I think it got easier. I mean, the Saints were a top-tier team. I don't think they're a top-tier team anymore. They're going to take a step down. This will be a good team, but they're not going to be 13-3 New Orleans Saints. I don't think so, at least. I think the Buccaneers' path got a little bit easier, and you look at Green Bay, you don't know what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. I just like the path the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to reclaiming their throne, and I have them as the one seed in my division, at my rankings at 15-2. and two. Now I move to the second spot in the NFC South. Who do you have there? I have a really big drop-off going from Tampa to my number two spot. I have Carolina at 6-11. and 11. Uh, The hot take here is 
New Orleans is just going to be a dumpster fire. They're going to be very bad. Uh, but to focus on Carolina, there, there isn't a whole ton to really love there. I'm not sure they know exactly what they're going to be doing. The main thing for them is making sure Christian McCaffrey is healthy. You're going to see what you have at quarterback. It, I'm, I'm not sure that Sam Darnold is going to be the guy. But I think he just, that team as a whole is not very good. I think they're going to struggle in a lot of games. They, and I'm pre- predicting that they're going to lose a decent number of close games. That's the biggest weakness that this Carolina team has right now. So I have them second at 6-11. and 11. Yeah, the Panthers, I think, are a team that also is going to struggle. And I'll get into them in a little bit. For me, my second seed in the NFC um, NFC South, I have the New Orleans Saints coming in at 8-9. and nine. I have them at 8-9 solely off of Alvin Kamara, Mike Thomas, and Sean Payton. Solely off of those guys. When I look at what the Saints have done in the past when Drew Brees has been injured, they've been successful. Teddy Bridgewater did a good job stepping in. But Teddy Bridgewater is a guy, he doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes, but he's also not going to make a lot of big plays for you. Jameis Winston is the opposite. He'll make some really big plays for you, and he'll also make a lot of mistakes. This is going to be a big offseason for the Saints. A lot of things got tougher. The cap space really cramped them big time. They had to make, they had to lose some bigger guys on this team. Yes, they were able to keep their big guys like Kamara, Thomas, Lattimore. They're back. But when I look at this team, without Drew Brees, not a true quarterback for this team, I can't give them a winning record. That's why I have 8-9, just because Sean Payton, for me, what he can do with this offense, I think he's going to turn it into just real simple things for Jameis Winston. I mean, you have Mike Thomas, shorter passes. Mike Thomas isn't the greatest deep threat, more of a guy who likes to get open intermediately, slants, uh, deep ends, digs. That's really where his game is. But Alvin Kamara is kind of my X factor. They can use him in so many ways. Great, obviously, running the football. But out of the backfield as well, he's such a factor for defenses that you can't. You always have to keep an eye on him. And that's what's going to open things up for Jameis Winston. This is Jameis Winston's last chance. He doesn't make it work here. That's it. I mean, that's it on his NFL career. Didn't work out in Tampa. And now you go into one of the better rosters in the NFL. If you can't make it work here, that's it. Now, if the Saints go Taysom Hill, and they haven't officially said who will start, but if they go Taysom Hill for most of the year, I think that makes them even worse in a way. Because when I look at Taysom Hill, I don't he has a great arm, don't get me wrong. Great deep ball. Not accurate. Not great at reading a defense. Sure, he can just throw bubbles to Alvin Kamara left and right. Jameis Winston can do that too. This team... Losing players because of the cap. Losing Drew Brees. I don't think this team gets any better. I think they have a losing record for the first time since, I believe, 2016 for this team. And when you look at Drew Brees last year, was he all that successful? No. But at the same time, the drop-off between him and Jameis Winston is clearly there. And I think Saints fans are going to realize that this season. 
Now we move to the third spot in the NFC South. Who do you have there? The team you just talked about, the Saints. There are a lot of the, a lot of things that I'm not a fan of with the Saints. Overall, they're an aging team that's struggling. I think they lost their obviously they lost their best player in Drew Brees. It was it was time for him to leave, but even with his arm talent severely diminished, just how intelligent he was about the game was the biggest factor that he brought to that Saints team. And I'm I'm a fan of Jameis Winston. I think he can play pretty well, but it's just such a big drop-off in overall football IQ. And you you talked a bit about Taysom Hill. I think that's where Sean Payton has... He has the opportunity to revolutionize the game. I've talked about it on the show before. I'm always talking to you about it. But the two quarterback set. It's it's coming. It's coming and this is where it can start. It's the perfect place. You have a pretty solid passing quarterback who still has good wheels in Jameis Winston as your kind of number one guy. And then Taysom Hill, who's a Swiss Army knife, who can do kind of everything as your second player who you can hand off to, you can pass to, whatever you want. They they have a chance to to do something crazy and I think something that can work it's I don't think that's what Sean Payton's going to do and that's why I have them at just 5 and 12 but if if they do if they run the two quarterback set probably around 9 and 8 I love it now for me at that third spot I have the Atlanta Falcons coming in at 4 and 13 and when I look at this Falcons team, Matt Ryan, I would like to say Julio Jones, but no Julio Jones. And then you look, obviously, Calvin Ridley. And Calvin Ridley is very underrated in terms of what he's done so far in Atlanta. He stepped up as a number one receiver in Julio's absence. He'll be fine. You look at, they brought in Mike Davis in the offseason for the running back spot. Not all too exciting. Um, he's a receiving threat you can add into this offense. But, I mean, Arthur Smith, your head coach, is going from Derrick Henry to Mike Davis. Talk about a jump in terms of talent. I love the Kyle Pitts pick. He's going to come in, play all over the place. And that's where Arthur Smith has to win football games, is using Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts well. You look what he can do with Calvin Ridley. Obviously, he can win all over. He's one of the best route runners in the NFL. You can line him up in the slot, line him outside. He can win consistently for Matt Ryan. That's why we've seen his numbers. Kyle Pitts, though, he's a guy that can win consistently, but he's kind of the unicorn of this offense. He has the opportunity to be the go-get-it guy, to take Julio Jones' spot there. He has the speed, not quite Julio's speed, but fantastic speed for his size. He's going to be what opens up things for this team. If Arthur Smith can find unique ways to use him, this offense can be dangerous, leading them to four wins. Because when you look at this defense, it didn't get any better. It was already not great last year. The only thing that helped this defense out was was uh, Dan Quinn leaving. 
That's the only thing that helped this defense out whatsoever. I think this team is going to struggle. I talked about last week when we talked about Julio. If you trade away Julio Jones, why did Matt Ryan not go with him? It doesn't make sense to me. If you're keeping Matt Ryan, you should be keeping Julio and opening up money in other avenues to be able to pay your draft picks. I'll rest my case there for this Falcons team. 4-13 and for them. So now our final spot in the NFC South. Who do you have residing in that spot? I have Atlanta. I think they're not going to be good. They're going to continue the trend of terrible to start the year and then be kind of okay down the stretch and keep that small sliver of hope alive and they really cling to that. Just like you said, because Julio's gone. Julio, you traded away. Matt Ryan should have been traded away too. That's... I don't I don't fully know why they didn't. And if you move Matt Ryan and if you move Julio before the draft, you can get, I think, more value from them and take a future quarterback at uh, number four. So Atlanta, I think they're going to take five games out of 17. I have them tied with New Orleans. Uh, just not going to be good. Matt Ryan and all the weapons he has around him is going to kind of will that team to a couple wins, but they're just not going to be good. Yeah, I agree. We have the same thoughts on the Atlanta Falcons. And now I move to my last spot, and I had the Carolina Panthers there also coming in at four wins with this team. I'm pretty low on the Panthers in terms of wins. Could I have brought them up a couple? Sure. I think I could have. But for me, I look at this team in terms of this division, and I go, okay, who has the best future five years from now? Which team would I want to be five years from now? And I would tell you the Carolina Panthers. You look at Tampa Bay, I mean, once Brady retires, they're done. That run is over. They've found ways to push money back from years now. They're going to have to pay for that at some point. It's the way the salary cap works. It looks really cool right now, but once Brady retires and they don't have, they have to pay all these guys, they're going to take a giant tumble. This Saints team has to find a way to address the quarterback position. Yes, they have some stars along the roster, but the cap's going to go up slowly. I don't think it's going to make a huge giant jump next year. Maybe 15, 15 to 20, I'd say at most, within a jump. You still have to find the quarterback position for them, and that's going to be huge. That's going to lead to struggles for them. This Falcons team, I'm not sure what Atlanta overall is really building or what they're trying to do. I mean, you keep older guys, get rid of older guys. They need to figure that out. But this Panthers team, there's a lot to like with this team. Christian McCaffrey at running back. J.C. Horn, their first-round draft pick. D.J. Moore, they can find a way to get him extended. Robbie Anderson. Terrence Marshall Jr., the wide receiver they picked up. Chubba Hubbard out of the backfield, another running back they picked up. Then you look at the defense and some of the additions they made there. Hassan Reddick at the linebacker spot. He had a breakout year last year. Can you get consist- consistency out of him? Matt Rule is his coach at Temple. Maybe that reunion helps him get back to his first-round pick caliber play. A.J. Boye, I like the addition, but still a guy that, I mean, he's not going to be part of your future. But then I look at some other spots in this defense. This is where I get excited. These four names right here. Derek Brown up front on the defensive line. You took him, I believe, a seventh overall pick last season. He can be 
a big-time part of your future. Shaq Thompson at the linebacker position. Jeremy Chin, he's what everyone expected Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons to be. Kind of just that hybrid linebacker safety, do-it-all type of guy. That's what Jeremy Chin's done. Then Dante Jackson, one of the fastest, if not the fastest cornerbacks in the NFL, and he's starting to make strides forward. And I know you're wondering, you're like, okay, you just gave me all these reasons why the Panthers are going to be good. Yeah, they need to develop a little bit. I don't think that happens this year. But I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm not sold on Sam Darnold. I wasn't all offseason when we talked about Sam Darnold. When I go back and I watch what he does on the football field, he gives me three or four very exciting plays that you can put on social media pages and say, oh, hey, look, he did this. But then I look at what he does consistently, and it's not great. When I look at him, you say, okay, Adam Gase, the Adam Gase effect, he's going to be fine. Ryan Tannehill, when he was with the Dolphins, put together good seasons under under Adam Gase. It wasn't a Ryan Tannehill wasn't good. It was a Ryan Tannehill can't stay healthy type of situation. That's why he was moved. Sam Darnold, outside of when he had mono, has, sell, has stayed relatively healthy. I'm just not sold on him. He doesn't do enough for me, especially as high of a draft pick as he was. Now, if anyone's going to fix him, it's going to be a top-tier play caller. And I'm not saying Joe Brady's a top-tier play caller, but he's on his way. He's a very good offensive play caller. So I'm interested to see the fit. Don't get me wrong. I really am. And I forgot they also added Curtis Samuel in this receiving core as well. Oh, lost Curtis Samuel, excuse me. When you look at it, losing Curtis Samuel is going to be big. He's a gadget guy. He would have helped Sam Darnold out big time. He really would have. But Darnold, for me, is what makes him at 4-13. and I don't think he succeeds here. If I was the Carolina Panthers and I was on the board picking 8th overall this year, sure, J.C. Horn was a great pick. Don't get me wrong. I think he was the best corner in the draft. He was my favorite. I would have took Justin Fields. I look at the draft board there. Fields would have been my pick. That's who I thought they were going to take. That would have been my pick. It wasn't. I think the Panthers struggle this year, 4-13, and and maybe next year they find their quarterback, 4-13, and probably a top-six pick. There's some good quarterbacks coming out next year, Spencer Radler, Sam Howell. There's some good picks out there. I'm excited to see the Panthers' future because, like I said, the future's bright for them. Just not right now. Just not right now. And so now we're going to real quickly touch on Aaron Rodgers. No show for many camps. So now, from this point on, he's starting to lose money in his contract for not being there. When you look at it with Aaron Rodgers, you see, will he show up or not? Final prediction for him, is he starting week one for the Green Bay Packers? I'm going to go with no. I think he's not. Part of that is just hope because that makes the Packers a lot worse and it means the Bears have an easier division. But I do think that he is legitimately not going to start for the Packers ever again. I think he's just not, he's just done. He's gone. And if the management of, uh, of Green Bay was smarter, I think they could get him back. But right now they've shown time and time again that they're just going to kind of be petty and play to Aaron Rodgers like he's playing to them, just kind of meet him on that same level, and that doesn't work. That hasn't worked. We saw with Brett Favre, that doesn't work. And they're doing it again with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, for me, it's tough because 
I'm with you. I'd love to not see him out there week one for the Packers, but I'm going to say he is out there starting for the Packers. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to watch the rest of the offseason. And trust me, every NFL media outlet is going to have their eyes on this the rest of the offseason. You're not going to not going to find your way out of this. But when I look at this, I think he is. And I think this is how it's going to happen. I think he's just going to show back up, and it's going to be like, okay, let's do this. And then everyone's going to be like, what's going on? He's just going to act like it's completely normal, and we could see the same thing next offseason. This relationship is over. Between these two, it's done. It's just a matter of when, not necessarily if. It's when at this point. And I thought possibly when they drafted Jordan Love, I thought it was realistic that they would get rid of him this offseason. Then he went out there and was the MVP, and then you're like, okay, realistically, you cannot get rid of him. You need to let him go another year at least. Question marks about Jordan Love. It's interesting what side I would take. When I look at the Packers for most of Rodgers' career, I would have sided with the Packers on it. I would say, okay, we gave you top-tier weapons for most of your career. Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Jermichael Finley. That's just Devontae Adams. That's just a few to name. James Jones, another guy. A few to name the weapons he's had for most of his career. As of late, the last two years, I'm on Aaron Rodgers' side. I never thought I'd say that, but I am. When I look at it, that draft they had in 2019, that was kind of the boiling point for me. Your team was the NFC Championship game and really was actually a competent defensive coordinator and good linebackers away from making a competitive game if you didn't let Raheem Mostert run for 220 yards. Then you go into the draft, you're like, okay, that's why we lost. Let's get some defense. Let's do something. Maybe even get Rodgers another weapon. You go three straight backups, backup quarterback, and I get it, your future, but a backup quarterback, and then you go backup running back, and then backup tight end. Yeah, that that would annoy me too if I was Aaron Rodgers. It would. So that's why I'm with him on that one. So last thing here, what's your most exciting matchup for the weekend? We've done one each week. What's your new weekend matchup that you're most excited for? I'm going to keep with the baseball uh, streak. We're going A's versus Yankees. I think that's just two teams that are in different spots right now. The Yankees have been struggling. Right now they're up uh, 3-2 in the ninth, so they're close to kind of getting the game back, but that was with Garrett Cole pitching. And the A's are at the top of the West. They're, they've been very good, and it's I think these are two talented teams. The Yankees are underperforming. Their offense is, I think, overall the worst in Major League Baseball. So it's it's really that David versus Goliath in terms of payroll, as we've seen in Moneyball. Uh, but I think it's going to be a really exciting matchup to watch these two teams that I think are relatively even in terms of talent. Yeah, I do think that's going to be a great matchup to pay attention to this weekend. My matchup, last week I did the Bucks nets in a 2-0 series. I wanted to see how Giannis and the Bucks would respond. They responded by getting two straight victories and making it a good series again. So now I'm looking at the Clippers. I'm looking at you, Paul George. Jazz versus Clippers is my matchup. I'm looking at you, Paul George. I need you to show up and prove to me that you can still carry an NBA team like you did with the Pacers. 
prove to the LA fans you were worth the picks, you were worth the money, you wanted to be in LA when you asked for a trade from the Pacers, now you're there, prove to them that you're worth what they gave up for you. That concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on social media, the Instagram or Twitter, be sure to follow us at KLA underscore UC. If you're on Facebook, look us up at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Give us a like on that page as well. That concludes tonight's show. Thank you for listening, and good night. See ya.